You may be seated. They woke up early on Sunday morning, Sabbath day, sorry, Saturday morning, and uh, got, got ready to go, got ready to go to the synagogue. I would like to think that Peter was probably the first one up, you know, that obnoxious early riser, you know who you are, uh, ready to go right away. Andrew's wiping the sleep from his eyes, you know, getting ready to go. And as the men started to get dressed and ready, they came to a realization that they had no food. Big problem. They had no food. Twelve hangry men and no food. They should have come to the men's fellowship breakfast. You know, the north men would have fed them well. But they had nothing. And they couldn't have bacon, so maybe they couldn't have come. I don't know. But in any case, uh, they, they got up. They had nothing to eat. I mean, there's no loaves, no fish. That means no multiplication. Zero times zero is zero. You know, there's nothing. To make matters worse, on their on their short journey to the synagogue... Jesus took them right by a grain buffet. A grain buffet. They walked through the fields and they're hungry. And so they did what any hungry man would do. They just started plucking the heads of grain and they started to eat it on their way to the synagogue. And I don't know if they had grain on their mouth. I don't know how they were found out. Maybe Andrew stuffed his pockets, you know, or something. I I don't know how it all worked. But they were caught by the religious leaders, the morality police, the Pharisees. You guys did work on the Sabbath. And so they asked Jesus, they confronted him and said, Do you know that your disciples are breaking the Sabbath day? Which, of course, means you're not supposed to work. And, and, and they considered uh, harvesting grain, reaping grain, kind of, kind of a form of work. And, and, and you can see their reactions, you know. I, I'd like to see Andrew is kind of looking down at his feet like, Oh man, we're in trouble now. I, I, I kind of want to see Peter as about to say something like, Well, you got, you know. But, but he kind of stops himself because he realizes Jesus is here. You know, I, I like to think of Judas as kind of being the guy that was like, I told you we should have bought something yesterday. I told you guys. Uh, I, that, that's how I see it in my mind at least. But Jesus, he comes back with a question. And, and that's how rabbis did it back then. You know, you make a statement, the rabbi asks you a question in return. That's just the way it worked. And so I, I can just see the guys like, oh, now it's on. You know, because Jesus says, have you not read... And I'm sure Peter's like, here we go. Just going to stand back, get my popcorn out, you know, and, and, and watch this thing unfold. And, and Jesus says, have you not read that, that when David was hungry, he profaned the Sabbath? He, he ate the table of showbread. He, he ate the sacred bread. And he got away with it. It was unlawful for him to do it. But he did it. Now, subtle context here. You've got, you got, you got to think about this. He's talking about King David, the anointed one in the Old Testament that God made a covenant with, and so there's this subtle little, like, like you know, you know like when you talk to somebody, and, and you mention somebody in the same sentence, and like you kind of associate yourself with them, you know, well, kind of like, kind of like me and, 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 and Bill Gates, you know, like we, we would look at our checking account every day, you know, it's like, no, 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 not in the same way as Gates, you know, it doesn't work, like you shouldn't utter your name with his name, Unless you got that much in your account. Like like when you name drop somebody, sometimes you see like a subtle comparison. It was kind of like that. Well, you know David, he ate the showbread. And like there's this subtle little like messianic, I'm the son of David. I'm the son of David. You know, so, so Jesus says that. So, so that's tough. But, but, but his point is David did something unlawful. He was hungry. He broke the Sabbath. 
And then he goes on and he says, well, and don't you know, and he could have quoted the book of Numbers for this, you know, don't you know, book of Numbers, the priests have to do their duty every single Sabbath day. They have to prepare everything. They have to sacrifice animals. And don't you know, that is work. And so the priests actually break the Sabbath too, in honor of God, actually. Now, uh, the disciples, you know, let's talk about their guilt for a second. If you want to look at it through like how they saw it back then, they were like guilty at least four times over. So, so think about this. They, they plucked the grain, which means they were guilty of reaping it. Bad. And, and, and then they like rubbed it in their hands, right? Which is like being guilty of uh, threshing it in their hands, right? And, 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 then they, and then they separated it, which is kind of like winnowing when you separate the, 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 the good stuff from the chaff, you know? So they're guilty of that. And then on top of that, they were guilty of making a meal on the Sabbath day, which you're supposed to do the day before, prepare all your food the day before. So they were like guilty at least four times over. And typically a Jewish person would consider that like death penalty-ish, you know? Like you broke the Sabbath day. Jesus defends them. And his last line of defense may be the strongest. He says... Something greater than the temple is here, meaning himself, his authority. He's saying, I have authority that's greater than the temple. In fact, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And if you read your Bibles, you would know that God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. God is about mercy. Are you hungry on the Sabbath day? Then make yourself a meal. Uh, eat something. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one with all authority, and he challenges them on that basis. I would invite you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 11, around verse 25, if you would do that this morning. Uh, this may be the last sermon in the series, Fortune Beyond Fortune, Cookie Faith. So uh, I had to open a fortune cookie on this last one. I know I've skipped a few weeks, you know. And, of course, the challenge, again, is, is it possible to figure out a way to, to, to use this fortune in the sermon? We'll see. Here we go. Past inspirations and experiences will be helpful in your job. Past, past inspirations and experiences will be helpful in your job. Anybody wants a snack later, there it is. Okay? All right. Past inspirations. All right. Wow. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Hopefully you're in Matthew uh, chapter 11. This is a great Labor Day passage. Um, I, think, I think you'll enjoy this. This is so good. Um, this text is, is... All right. So verse 25. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared... I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise and understand, the wise and understanding, and you revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then in the very next passage, chapter 12, you get the grain fields passage. You, you get the breaking the Sabbath passage and, and all of that. So this is all in the same context of getting in trouble for working on the Sabbath day. Um, let me ask you this. When Jesus invited them and he said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. What, what was making them so tired? What was making them exhausted in their, down to their soul? He wasn't talking about work. I mean, we know that's part of the curse, right? The sweat of your brow, that hardness of work. But he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about a soul tiredness. A soul tiredness. And it came from the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, would add regulations to existing laws. So the idea would be you don't want to break the Sabbath so we're going to add a whole bunch of rules about all the things you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath day to make sure you don't break it. And one of those is all Chick-fil-A's must be closed. That's one of them, right? Maybe you grew up where you had these conversations in your family. Should we go to a restaurant on Sunday? Any of you grew up with those kind of conversations? Like, maybe, maybe we shouldn't go because we're making somebody else work on the Sabbath day. I mean, these are the kinds of things like, I don't want to work on the Sabbath but I also want to make sure that, I, that I'm doing it right. So, so we're building a fence around it just to make sure you don't come close to breaking the Sabbath day. And Jesus is saying, you know, th- that's a burden. That's a weight. You can't pick grain because you're breaking a law. That was the burden they had to carry. I would even go a step beyond that because uh, in the book of Acts, when the early church is having conversations about the, the Mosaic Law, the Law of Moses, Ten Commandments, and all the other laws in the Old Testament. They, they call it a burden. A burden that was hard for them to bear. And, and I think that's true. Like, like, like if your life is all about a set of commands, I mean, I think it's true of them. They agreed they were going to obey Moses' commands that, that were given by God. Like, they agreed to it. They made the covenant. We will follow these laws. But they never could. They always broke them. They always messed up. They were in this cycle of disobedience. So, so that was a burden. And in, in the middle of all these burdens, Jesus says, come to me. I'll take that burden off. So here's my question for you. What makes your soul tired? What makes you weary inside? Again, I'm not asking you about your work schedule. I'm not asking you what's on your calendar. I'm saying what makes you tired inside yourself? What makes your soul tired? I'd like to suggest a few things in a few minutes, but if you could just hold on to that question for just a couple minutes. I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to make a few suggestions of things that I think make our soul tired. Because nobody here is forcing me to obey the law of Moses. So so how do I understand this weariness that comes deep inside me? I I think there are things that do that, though. Okay, so Jesus says, uh, take my yoke upon you. So so what's a yoke? Well, it's not the middle of an egg, okay? That that, that would be a Y-O-L-K, the yoke. Again, what the men are eating for their breakfast, I'm sure. Something like that, you know. Uh, But this is a Y-O-K-E, it's a yoke. 
And it's the idea of this wooden beam that would go across two oxen and that they could, they could pull the load together. These, these beasts of burden where it would pull this, this yoke. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. So the idea of a yoke is, um, I think the best definition I've read, one of the simplest ones at least, is, uh, scholar D.A. Carson. We'll put that up. I think that's one of the simplest ones. I think it's one of the best. The yoke is the discipline of discipleship. So, so Jesus, a, a yoke is still a burden. I mean, a yoke is still something that you're going to carry on yourself. But Jesus says this is, a, this is an easy yoke. It, it, it's a well-fitting yoke. It, it's not the same kind as the difficulty of the Pharisees. And so um, it's a discipline of discipleship. So a disciple, uh, methetes is the Greek word, it, it's a learner. You're a student. You're a pupil. You're, you're following someone you're following something. You're a disciple of someone's. And so to be a disciple of Jesus, he's saying, if you want to follow me, you take my yoke. And it's easy. The burden is light. Now, if I can get a little more specific, the yoke is also a way of understanding. I think when Jesus is talking here, it's a way of understanding the law. I mean, he's saying, if you listen to the Pharisees, they're going to add extra burdens on you. Their yoke is heavy. They're going to build a fence around the law. They're going to be legalistic. They're, 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 going to, they're going to make you do extra things to try to please God. My yoke's not like that. My interpretation's not like that. Now, uh, here's an issue then. Does that mean Jesus is anti-law? Is Jesus like all for the free-for-all? Do whatever you want. By the way, evangelical free does not mean we're free to do anything we want. Okay? Uh, for those that are visiting, it refers to a form of church governance, you know, that, that, that's, that's the way we are. That we're, that we're free from government control, which is really any church in America, to tell you the truth. So, um, what, what does it mean that Jesus says, take my yoke? Is he anti-law? Is he pro-law? What is he? Well, if you read Jesus, he'll often say things like, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, don't, don't hate anybody. Or if you call somebody fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. If you say somebody is a fool, that's a hateful word to use. So, so I mean, this is just Jesus. So, so you say, the law says don't murder. Jesus, you're saying I can kill people in my heart, in a sense. So in some sense, Jesus raises the standard. But how is that different from what the Pharisees did by saying you can't winnow wheat, you can't, you can't harvest it, you can't reap it? You know, how's that different? You see, see the... See the contradiction that we get into here how is jesus yoke easier well first of all he's not making everything easier by saying don't follow the law he's not saying don't worry about commands some of his last words were teach him to obey everything i commanded you so so if you're saying jesus following you is like taking on this easy and light yoke so what does that mean if you're not anti-law and if you're not um if you're not total law like adding extra regulations what are you saying then what does this mean so let me ask this question if you haven't noticed everything's in a question and answer format uh what is the nature of jesus's invitation i'm going to say it like this jesus is inviting you to join with a person, not a system. He's inviting you to leave a system to join a person. That, that is, 
himself. We all have systems. And all the major world religions have a system. Do this and you will have peace. I mean, that's what they're all based on. You have to do it. It's a system. The old covenant, the law was a system. Do these things and you will live. And I don't know. Uh, when I when I think about people from my past that have left the church, that have left the faith, that have complained about the church, one of the arguments that I hear over and over and over again is that the church is full of rules and regulations. That they they conceive of the faith as this list of stuff that we have to do. It's a system. And if you do all these things, you're good. But they realized they couldn't do all those things, so they weren't good. They were bad, and they felt bad, and they just left it. And they realized no one else could do all those things either, which is why they think the church is full of hypocrites. And in some sense, they're kind of right. We do fail every day. But Jesus' invitation is not to join the church system of do's and don'ts. He invites you to a person. He says, you've got to leave all that behind. And he says, come to me. Come to me. Not come to the law. Not come to the church. Come to me. It's a person. It's personal. Uh, so, when, so when people would ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He could say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a person. It's personal. He didn't say, well, just do this or do that. It, it, it's, it's, it's this way. So the invitation is to leave a system and join a person. Uh, here's our problem, I think. There, the way we do life makes our soul tired. And I think that's why people leave the church. They're tired. They're tired of doing things the way they've always done them. Well, let me say it like this. I'll give you three selves. You can write them down or just listen along. Self-righteousness, self-effort, and self-centeredness. Or selfishness, if you want to go that way. There are these selves, and I think they mess us up. Self-righteousness says, look at me in my spiritual life. I do this really well. Some of you know how to do the church thing really well. You know what to wear, what to act like, what words not to say, what words to say, how to pray. And it doesn't matter if your heart's in it. It's like muscle memory, you know? You just do it. It's like riding a bike. You never forgot. You learned when you were a kid, and when you grew old, you just knew how to do this self-righteous thing. You know how to look good on the outside, and that makes you feel close to God. But that doesn't have anything to do with your relationship with God, making yourself feel like you're close to God has nothing to do with that. Jesus doesn't say, I'm inviting you to this system of commands, and then you'll be close to me. He says, no, you've got to come to me. Self-righteousness. Sometimes it's self-sufficiency or self-effort. It's this whole thing of, I just need to try harder. I need to work harder. I need to do more. If I could just do more this year than I did last year, I know I would be close to Jesus. I just need to try harder. So I go to church And I want to hear a convicting message about how hard I need to work for Jesus. 
And that's not it either. Jesus says, my burden's light. My yoke is easy. It fits well. It's not try harder. That's not the gospel. And some of you have lived in that system of you just don't measure up. So you, and so eventually you just leave because you know you'll never measure up to whatever the spiritual leaders say you got to be. So you're out of here. And some people I wish I could sit across from them. Some people from my past, I wish I could just sit here and just say this to them. Like, all that stuff you were raised in of trying harder, that's not what your spiritual life's actually about. That's what someone told you you had to do. Something better here. Thirdly, um, the third self thing would be that that self-centeredness or selfishness. Or, or how about self-indulgence? That's another good word to use for it. Self-indulgence. That, that, that thing that says, I, I can't keep the commands anyway, so I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. You know, Forget it. I'm chucking the commands. I'm going to live my life the way I want. I'm king. I'm going to do what makes me happy. I'm searching for my personal happiness. And that doesn't work either. I think that's a yoke too. Because the stuff that you think makes you happy doesn't actually make you happy. So, so whatever yoke we put on ourselves, it doesn't fit well. Try harder. Look really good. Or live for yourself. Whatever self you pick, self-righteousness, self-effort, or self-indulgence, whatever self you pick, it just doesn't work. It's an ill-fitting yoke. And it makes your soul tired. And so if you come to church today and you're like, I, I, I do feel that tiredness in your soul. My response to that is, you're not doing it right then. You're not doing it right because the promise of Christ looks different than however you're doing it. The invitation of Christ to say, come to me, is to leave whatever it is, how you're currently doing it, and come to a person. Now, when Jesus says uh, in the text, he says, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me. Learn from me. What does Jesus mean when he says, learn from me? Again, it kind of sounds like I've got to start memorizing things, right? I, I just heard a pastor say this. This is so great. I think it's Francis Chan that said this. Isn't it great that in the church, we're the kind of people that, that when Jesus says a command, we memorize it and think that we did it, and, and, and we're good. You know, we, we've got it memorized. But, but, but Chan says, you notice that doesn't work like when your kids would say that to you if you told them to clean their room? Like, like Johnny, go clean your room. Okay, I got it. Clean my room. Memorized it. Got it. But if the room's not clean, you haven't done it. You know, you've got to go out and clean the room. You've got to do it. And so what does it mean when Jesus says, learn from me, learn from me, learn I would connect learn to what Jesus just said a few verses before. If you want to look at that 25 through 27, there's a reason I read that stuff today. Jesus says, um, no, no one knows me but the Father. No one knows the Father but me and everyone I choose to reveal him to. I think Jesus is talking revelation here. When he says learn, what he means is, I want you to learn me. I want you to learn the rabbi, the teacher, the master, the Lord, the Savior. Look at me. Not, not memorize everything I said to do. And not even systematize everything I said to do. But, but just learn from who I am. 
My character is humble and lowly if you would follow my way. Yes, there's still commands. I'll get to those in a second. I know some of you maybe feel the tension this whole morning of, how can he stop, you know, I'll say all these negative things about commands and self-effort. Um, I'm getting there. I'm going to answer that. But, but Jesus has learned from me. And I think when he says learn from me, he means I've revealed myself to you. So take a good long look at me every day of your life. And I'll show you this yoke. I'll show you how to be my disciple. I'll show you how to follow me. Just keep looking at me. So that leaves us with the tension, hopefully, that you feel even right now in your hearts. Here's the tension. How, how can Jesus leave this earth and say, teach him to obey everything I've commanded you? Sounds like a system, right? Teach him to obey all these different things that I've commanded you. How can Jesus say that? How can, how can the scripture say, be holy as I am holy? How can Jesus say, if you love me, obey my commandments? How about I give you an even, even stronger verse? How about this one? If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. How can a cross be a yoke? There's my question. Anybody got an answer for that? How, how is your relationship with Jesus both a cross and a yoke? Do we get to pick? Because I'll take the yoke. How about you? I, I, I don't want the cross. I don't enjoy carrying the cross. It hurts my back. There's splinters. It's heavy. Crosses are heavy. Yokes are not, according to Jesus. His yoke is not. How, how in the world, and this is from the same book, this is Matthew writing. So I'm just saying it's the same book. Matthew 11, Matthew 16, same book, cross, yoke. Which one do you want? Do you get to pick? And, and, and I think when we read this kind of stuff, we would normally gravitate towards the yoke. So here I am at the end. And I have no idea. You know, I, I, it's paradoxical, isn't it? I have no idea. I kept saying, how am I going to explain this? I came up with this really good analogy. I don't know if it works anymore. I'm kind of like, uh, how would you, could you just like go home and wrestle with this for the rest of the day? Would that be good enough? Do you want to hear me take a stab at it? Okay, all right. Um, here, here, here's, my, here's my wrestling. Here, here's my struggling with this this week. Jesus says, come to me, I will give you rest, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm gentle and I'm humble. And I know that Jesus is this gentle, humble man, this God-man, who bore a cross to pay for my sins and your sins. I, I know that a prideful, arrogant person would not have done that for me. Wouldn't have done it for you. I know that Jesus took on the form of a servant, a slave. He became the lowest member of society that would be a condemned criminal. You don't get any lower than that. That's worse than a slave. He became condemned. And in Jesus' character, 
I see a man who would suffer and die for you and me. When I look at him, I love this person. And so when this person tells me to take up the cross, I know that the only way I can find the rest that I'm looking for in my soul is to carry my cross, for you to carry your cross. It takes some effort to enter rest. It takes some effort to take on Jesus' yoke. And you say, that's a paradox. I know it is. But who here can say that living a life of sin and self-indulgence has actually made your life better? Has that been easy? Have you been able to sleep well at night doing that? Or has it hurt you? Has it broken things? And you would say, yeah, it's broken things. Who here feels really good about trying harder tomorrow to look better to God? Who here feels like that's a go-to plan? When you can come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'll take your yoke, and I'll take my cross, and I'll follow you. And I know it's going to be hard, and I know people might despise me and make fun of me and mock my faith and say we're just a bunch of hypocrites or whatever else they say about us. I know that to may be true, and if I live in another country, there may be danger to life, but your grace is always sufficient. And I always sleep well at night. And my soul is always at rest in your hands. Even when life is so, so hard. I think there's a difference here. Uh, you know, you ever go to bed with your spouse? Hopefully you do that every night almost. But um, you ever go to bed with your spouse and one of you has a cough? So annoying. So annoying. Usually it's me, right? It's usually me. Probably, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Annoying, yeah, that's right. Um, and, 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 your, and your spouse is coughing, and you're like, I can't sleep because I'm, I'm a light sleeper. I can't sleep. They just keep coughing, and you want to turn the fans on and put earplugs in, but they just keep coughing, and so you're up, and you don't have a restful sleep. And The cough is keeping you up. The cough is keeping you from rest, and I think we all have a coughing problem. You know, we have a coughing problem. It's self-sufficiency. It's self-effort, it's self-righteousness, it's self-indulgence. And Jesus says, why don't you just deny yourself, yourself, and take up your cross and follow me. And it's going to be hard, there's going to be blood involved and sweat involved, but when you do that, your soul, not your body, not your physical body, not, not, not all of that, but your soul, the interior part of you, that will find rest as your body takes up the cross. That's where I go with it. Maybe you got a better one, but I, my soul is at rest when my body carries the cross. You know? When I deny myself in all of the different ways myself manifests itself. And maybe that's what you need to hear today. You've got to stop coughing. Take your cough medicine. I, I don't know. Sorry, the analogy's getting out of hand now. But, um... <laughs> um Come to him, and he will give you rest. One more analogy. Um, one thing I'm thankful to never have to do again as a senior pastor is do an all-nighter. I, I love that I will never, ever, well, I don't have babies in my house anymore. I guess I don't have to do all-nighters in that sense either. So no more all-nighters for me. Um, but when I used to do all-nighters, this is the way the night would go. 
You would plan fun events throughout a teenager's evening and into the morning. You would be playing games. We do capture the flag often. By the way, uh, capture the flag. Let me tell you a secret. If you ever find yourself in a great capture the flag game in the middle of the night. Here it is. I was the last one on my team. I was the last guy standing. All the rest of my guys have been captured. This is it. This is how it is. And, and, you know, the enemies are trying to get into your territory and get your flag. So I guarded a location where my flag wasn't at. Did you hear that? I guarded a location where my flag wasn't at to play a psychological game on the other team. And so they thought my flag was in this set of bushes, but really it was not. And so my theory was, I can outlast everybody out there, and I can win this game by... Well, I I can have a stalemate, basically. That's the best I can do. I'm going to lose otherwise. It was a stalemate, people. That's right. Psychological warfare right there. Um, But anyway... One of the one of the um, one of the things at the end of an all nighter is you play capture the flag all night and you get to the, the early morning hours. It's like six a.m. and then I get the I get the privilege of saying to a bunch of students, "You've had your fun all night. Now it's time to clean up." And you think I had just like cussed at them and they were like running for the hills, you know, like what's going on? I just asked you to do something totally foreign. They're exhausted. They're crabby. And they want to go home and sleep and take their crabbiness out on their parents. It's true. And, uh, and I'm asking them to clean up. And the cleanup part's the important part, right? They had their fun all night. Maybe my point is this, that we've chosen ways of doing life, of thinking about our faith, that are not conducive to the rest Jesus describes. Maybe we've kept ourselves up all night, so it's, it's no wonder we're cranky when, we, when it comes time to clean, Right? There's things Jesus does ask us to do, but we're so busy with everything else. Making ourselves look good. Self-indulgence. We're so busy with all that stuff. We're too tired. And maybe we need to strive. Maybe we actually need to work a little bit at entering that soul rest that Jesus talks about here. That's my best take on it. That's where I go with it. Um, but I know that Jesus' invitation is good for all of you, and it's something you need to think about. You need to look at how you do your life. How do you do your faith? So let me say it like this. Let me close with this idea. What if, what if somebody greater than the temple is here? What if someone greater than your hopes and dreams is here? What if someone greater than your desire for wealth is here? What if someone greater then your sinful pleasures is here. What if he's here? And he says, I just want you to look at me. I want you to focus on me. I want you to know me, love me, follow me, take up your cross. If you want to know where do I start, that's number five. Where do I start with this whole thing? I'm just going to give you a verse. I'm not going to give you a list of five things because Jesus didn't do that here, really. What's five ways I can find rest for my soul? He doesn't do that. So I'm just going to give you a verse. Maybe write this down and look at this this week. Maybe spend your time uh, meditating on this. After everything we said, Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Can we just pause there? I've got to lay aside other yokes, other weights, 
other burdens. I can't come to Jesus and enter into his rest if I'm holding on to stuff. And let us run. Oh, look at that. Let us run. That's effort. That's sweat. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. But here it is. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. And here it is. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I see soul rest there. Don't get tired. Don't get weary. Don't get faint-hearted. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And that means whatever it is right now that's taking your eyes off of him, that's got to change. I don't got five steps. I've got one step. You look at Jesus and you toss everything else to the side. Can I give you a moment of rest to think about what that looks like and then we'll pray? Would you uh, bow your heads and close your eyes? I just love you to ask yourself the question, what's keeping your soul from being at rest? What is the weight? What is the burden? What is the sin? And can you see yourself laying that aside so that you can look at Jesus more closely?